To get you ready for this episode's guest, just a quick joke. Knock, knock. Oh, I guess it doesn't work when uh, you can't reply. Well, enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. Hey, we back. We back. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Ned Buskirk, your creatively conscious conscious host of this creatively conscious new word, creatively conscious mortality podcast. What the heck are we doing in your ear? Well, you regular listeners get it by now, but let me just do a quick nutshell for a moment for those of you that are joining for the first time. The point of the podcast, let's see, connects to what we do in general, 501c3 nonprofit, making creatively conscious space for the conversation of mortality, death and dying, grief and loss, but how to inspire those things to deepen our experience of being alive, find connectedness and belonging, maybe make death some version of more palatable, no promises there (laughs) Uh, because I don't always feel that way. But we also, let me say, one specific version of what we do that connects to why there's a guest like the guest we have on the show for you today. I'd say one of the things we've done over the last 10 years or so is created also an entertaining kind of space for people to come and access this conversation of death and dying. And the open mic being the earliest version of that, back in 2009, I started this open mic for people to come and share around the conversation of loss and grief, especially emphasized or invited by me sharing about the loss of my mother and my mother-in-law, their lives and their deaths. And so what would happen over the years is no surprise, a lot of other people needed that kind of space too, but there's such a creative inclination to that open mic space. And so then all the concerts, the events that we produce, and even the workshops, Really, everything has some element of maybe even a little bit of a performative aspect. And so I told this to the guest you're going to hear from in a little bit. But what I want to say here is a part of the introduction is to acknowledge how much I appreciate their place in this conversation. Because what would happen, the reason why I feel this way is what would happen is at the open mics, you'd get a bunch of people getting up, some poets, some musicians, Maybe a lot of people just getting up and telling stories about their loss and about their relationship to death. And it could be funny. Often it would be maybe emotional and grief-stricken and intense. And that was your general content. And then all of a sudden one day, and there was one day where someone signed up and got up on the mic. This is early years of the open mic. Someone would get up on stage and they would do a stand-up bit for five minutes of just making us laugh about ridiculous things. And, and, and to be fair, they would connect that humor and their comedy and that act of entertainment to the conversation of grief and death and dying, usually. And I loved it. 
I was always it was it was kind of equal parts uncomfortable because it was in such contrast to so much heartbreak that had maybe been on stage or crying that had been happening in the space, but then also such a relief. And really for myself in that context, and I'd say it happens on the podcast too, there's a bit of let's make room to cry and we're definitely going to laugh too. And in fact, if we get a good cry, then we're going to get a good laugh also. And so my appreciation all the way back before the podcast, before you're going to die for entertainers and then for comedians, my love for comedians, it, it really has informed so much, or at least the creative, the performative, the entertaining aspects of what we do as an organization. And so any chance I get to talk to someone who I respect doing that work in the world, entertainers, people that make me laugh, ooh, this guest is that person. And what a sweet opportunity to get to connect to someone who I watched on Netflix and who made me laugh heartily, like no one has maybe in a long time. To be able to connect to them and get them on the show, it feels like something significant. So that's that, that, that. Let's get to it. Sheng Wang is a stand-up comedian originally from Houston, Texas. His first Netflix special, Sweet and Juicy, produced and directed by Ali Wong, is streaming on Netflix. Sheng resides in Los Angeles, and in his time off, he enjoys exploring botanical gardens and snacking. I hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast, as much as I enjoyed the conversation with its guest, Sheng Wang. I, I go to cemeteries quite often, actually. I do go to cemeteries. I mean, like, whether it's, you know, whether if it's a service or, you know, it's an actual thing where there's a mm. service or whatever or someone has died. Or when I travel and I'm looking for a park oh, or yeah, I'm looking yeah. for nature yeah. or I'm going for a walk, I will take walks to, oh, at yeah. the cemetery. Whether mm -hmm. I mean, I've done that quite a bit, actually. Um, the last cemetery, well, one of the last ones I went to was in... Um, Rhode Island, and it was this old cemetery with one of the the biggest trees I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, mm. And I, I find cemeteries to be <laughs> a great place to, yeah, reflect, to connect, to recenter, to re acknowledge <laughs> this is yes. inev inev inevitability, um, and get your thoughts together and get your mind right. What was your relationship to death, dying, loss uh, in the first, let's say, 30 years of, of your existence? Like, was it a presence? Is there a way that you kind of opening up to this more now is bringing up old stuff that occurred, but it didn't like affect you in this way that you're being affected now or opening to now? Um, I mean, prior, I, I don't think it was, it just wasn't really on my mind that much. You know, it yeah. just didn't seem like a real thing. It just mm -hmm. was a a more open-ended uh, abstract uh, yeah it wasn't something i had to deal with that much directly i definitely you know my parent my grandparents passed away yeah um most of them i think my yeah my, i still have one grandma left oh, wow um i mean nowadays it's like miraculous yeah and, and i've lost aunties mm. um is that like um blood related when you use that term 
I am. What do you mean? Like, like I, I, I don't. You know, sometimes I hear people say auntie and uncle, and and sometimes it's just like oh, really oh. important community family members. But you maybe specifically mean your the sisters of your mom or your dad. Yeah, my dad's sisters. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I, I think about it more. I think about how how is my dad uh, dealing with that? You know. Mm-hmm. You guys have the kind of relationship where you can talk about that stuff, or or not so much. Not really. I'm going based <laughs> based yeah. on my knowing of them through some of your <laughs> stand-up comedy. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. Maybe not having like deeply emotional conversations about some of this stuff. Yeah, I don't. I I I don't know. I don't. I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. I, I we haven't really had that much uh, in terms of deep emotional conversations. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is because there's a language barrier. I mean, part of mm-hmm. it's just it's just not been our relationship for you know, it's just not been the way we've related to each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, and then part of it is just language. Yeah. Um, you know, my we their first. I mean, they 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 immigrated here from Taiwan. A long time ago, I was pretty young when they came, when we all came, but um, my 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 Chinese and Taiwanese skills versus their English skills, it just doesn't add up enough to really have mm. some of those conversations, at least not easily. One of the original things we did is an open mic, um, and we still do it, but it's the very beginning of everything. Back in 2009, I started doing this open mic, and when my mother-in-law died in 2012, the open mic really took on a... I think a specific purpose for me, which is that place where I could talk about my mom, um, who I think you know by now, died. And she's really like that first loss that I, sent me on a trajectory to be maybe even literally in this conversation with you. Um, and then my mother-in-law's death. My mom died in t- 2003. My mother-in-law's death in 2012. When I came to that open mic after that loss, it was like, this is what this space is for. Like, I need to talk about this stuff. I want to talk about them. I want to talk about their lives and their deaths. And I want to talk about this inevitability in general. And I think the opening there, I want to very specifically connect to you saying yes to this, because there's a, there's one particular uh, participant that I feel like sometimes people wouldn't understand has a really special place in this context for me. And it is the person who comes and suddenly does stand up comedy in the middle of these events that are <laughs> like me crying and people like my dad died yesterday. And then someone gets up and does, I would say like not as good a set as yours on Netflix, but like they're just trying out the, yeah, I'm connecting to this reality and this inevitability. And I think, like I said in my email, maybe I especially love the, let's just talk about how ridiculous life is, like that it goes this way and what we live through to just be born and then die eventually and go to Costco somewhere in the middle, you know, repeatedly. Um, That's such a relief for me to have that person show up. And so (laughs) part of why I connected to, to you and was thought maybe he'd be down to kind of lean in here is because of that. And, and that's, that's a big reason why I feel like we're talking. That's hilarious. That's so funny that you ran an open mic where I just like, to me, I, I, I mean, I see it less sentimentally. I'm just like these, <laughs> these desperate open micers just need a stage anywhere they can get you're right they don't care you guys are grieving they're just here to try to work out this bit you're right that's That's absolutely how some of them showed up i mean they're making efforts they're thinking 
probably at some point someone said, there's an open mic in the city you should go to on Thursday night. Yes. So they're, they're, like what you're describing for sure is how some of these people got there. But once they're there, I'm up on, I'm up on stage. Usually I'm being funny and I, and I love it. I'm, you know, part of why I'm in this context too, I think is like, I, I think I shared with you a little bit already, the performative draw for me is a strong one. And part of that is making people laugh. So these events there, there is joy, there is laughter, Absolutely. it is entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> but when someone shows up and also with the introduction, maybe I made them laugh a little, thank God they're, they're feeling, but also I'm crying, you know, yeah. usually I, I am. And, and so then they're thinking, shit, like this isn't just an, <laughs> this isn't just an open mic. <laughs> How do I get my material to connect to this audience? You know, yeah. and it happens yeah. with all the performers, quote unquote, you know, people that come with their really good song or mm -hmm. their really amazing poem. Right. That's not what the space it's like. It's more raw than that. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like the people that just come and just take a chance and a risk are almost more successful being in that context than someone who comes with their clean like material that they've worked on for years you know right right but right. still it's a relief and it matters a lot i don't think the leap is that hard to have a stand-up comic show up in that context and make us laugh because we need it yeah you know because shit life is hard right and i'm right. just <laughs> even wondering at this stage with new material you're working on is that kind of the process right now for you? Some of what you're feeling about death and what the dark, is there, you feeling a little more of that influence on the stuff you have coming up with some of your new material? Um, I usually don't sit down and, and, and think about a theme and, and, and just kind of, yeah. um, you know, try to write an essay. But I mean, that's, that's a good exercise to do, but I normally just kind of, at least to start, I just kind of uh, collect these little nuggets from taking walks and looking around and examining myself and noticing my personal, yeah, thoughts and feelings. And by the way, it, it's a trick. It's a like I I'm not surprised that that's the answer. I wasn't expecting you to say, "Well, I sit on you know I sit at the cemetery <laughs> <you know? laughs> with my with my notepad, just working out new material that directs directly relates to death." <laughs> And I think it's really curious to kind of catch you at a time where, of course, your work's not going to be directly influenced by the way you're kind of thinking and relating to life about death and and those parts. But also it is a stage you're going into. And, and I think probably more for your work, like putting bits together or writing an hour of comedy, you might not even know until it's done how that influence is present. Right. I imagine that's it's usually that way. Yeah, I'm not, I'm still trying to figure out my process mm -hmm. <laughs> and my voice, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I'm exploring, I'm exploring different ways of, of, of working on it. Um, but my, my, my typical style has been just to collect these notes and thoughts and mm -hmm. then try to find something interesting or amusing to, um, share about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's basically as far as my work or my craft, that's kind of what I'm focused on. I, I, I do feel like in terms of the bigger conversation about life and death, like it's a struggle for me to um, spend my days uh, living and just spending my time according to the values that I have, you know, mm -hmm. like it's hard for me to stay focused on things that I know are important to me. <laughs> 
Yeah. And it's easy for me to get distracted. And it, it bums me out to think, you know, these days, each day as it passes without, you know, with, it, with, with, with a sense of like, it could have been better or mm. it could have been um, more well, better spent the day. Well, get, um, can you give me a specific example? You know, I mean, like, is it stuff you're like, I need to, I should have worked on that yesterday or I should have called my dad and said, Hey, are you doing all right? <laughs> you know, like, let's talk about auntie. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's, what's the best I mean, example? I, I, I mean, I'm talking about just basic day to day, just mm-hmm. spending a little, I mean, I understand. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's important to just try to build, um, you know, routines. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm still, I still feel like I'm 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 struggling with the most basic routines, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I try to take joy in in in, in small things whether it's a, a backlit leaf mm-hmm. in the sun or yeah. you know making a pot of beans and the beauty <laughs> yeah. of beans soaking in water. <laughs> yes. Um yes. Um and I I I I I'm finding it, you know, easier and more it makes sense for me to enjoy those moments in life um but uh but i'm still i I struggle with um getting to work sometimes yeah and i struggle with planning and um has it always been that way or do you feel like with some of this shift for you in the last few years, like, again, just to reference what you shared at the beginning of our conversation, do you feel like it's because of that influence? Like what's the point kind of stuff or just like, uh, you know, as far as like living in the present and finding Mm -hmm. joy in everyday moments, I think that's, that's a more recent thing. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as, uh, my, (laughs) my, my difficulties with focusing and planning, like, I, I think, I think that's a lifelong <laughs> yeah, constant. issue I've had. Um, as yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm like a perfectionist procrastinator. Mm-hmm. Like it needs to be right. It needs to be perfect. It needs to feel right before yeah. I can, you know, work on it or do it. Like, yeah. 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 I remember this working on my thesis, which is sort of the weird way. I also ended up here cause I came up to San Francisco to do my master's in English literature and when I was finishing my thesis by then I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not going to be a teacher, but I needed to, <laughs> I needed to, well, I needed to make sure I finished the program, at least for my wife. But, um, <laughs> I, I finished that, that thesis and it was the same thing, right? You're just trying to get this thing perfect. And I remember a teacher once saying to me that, you know, there's two types of theses. There's a perfect one and there's the one that you've turned in. Right. And, um, and just that reminder of like, we can just be stuck in that getting it dialed, getting it dialed. And in the meantime, time is just going by, you know, so quickly. Yeah. I really get that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning that, you know, you just, you just, you just give it, you give, you give it a look over, you give it a touch every day. You, you kind of mm-hmm. make it a daily thing, whatever it is you're trying to work towards. Um, trying to like ins- adopt this idea of, of, of just don't worry about, you know, don't worry, try not to worry so much about the end result and just focus on what, what little piece of it you can do. Okay. Hey, everybody. 
Well, it's that usual pit stop in the episode where we got to tell you why you should support the podcast in all the ways you can. Nick Jana, do you have an idea for how we can do that? Well, I sense some hesitation that you feel uh, burdened by needing to tell people about. Uh No, no, I'm just I'm just reading between the lines. Well, I just want to keep it fresh. You know, I want people to understand how much it matters and how much we care. But I start to think, geez, is this just droning on and on or like, here he goes again. I thought maybe we could do a little role playing. Okay, great. Just to just to break us out of our normal roles. I so appreciate that. So I'll be, I'll be a therapist mm-hmm. and you be, Oh great. You, you be you. And just, you just come to me and, and you tell me. Just, tell so me wait, my exciting role is just me getting therapy. <laughs> oh Jesus. Okay. So that's fine. I'm actually starting therapy for, for the first time in a while this week. So this will be good. Okay. I'll be role playing for my therapy session yeah. coming up too. Okay. Yeah, great. We'll just be practice. Right. Hello. Hi. Uh, Hi. Mr. Jana. Yes. Are you here? Well, doctor. So sorry. Upstart. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. I have a uh, complicated relationship with power power roles. You must be Ned. I am Ned. Yeah. Have a seat. Lay Thank down you. on this on this couch oh. that is only in movies and TV shows. You're one of those. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll lay down. Let me get situated a, here. A, a, a settee, I think we call it. <sighs> All right. Ooh. So, uh, you just... I've just cold reading you, you seem troubled by the need to uh, talk about sponsorship and patronage for your podcast. <laughs> Holy wow. Uh, Does that resonate well, with you? I've never I've never had a, a therapist cut right to the chase and, and be so concise. Uh, yeah, it's really been on my mind a lot lately. It's why I sought therapy. And I'm just amazed that you picked up on that right away. Yeah, I, I'm trying to figure that part of my life out. What does this ink blot look like to you? Uh, it looks like someone turning the other direction from me, like just not listening wow. and not supporting uh, me and wow. what I do. Yeah, I was just—it was just an ink blot on my shirt. I was just wondering if it was noticeable. <laughs> well, they're all. Oh yeah, geez, you definitely spilled a bunch of ink on your shirt. Just was going to ask. It does look like that? If you could recommend a dry cleaner, but yeah, that's interesting that you think Wait that. A second. <laughs> I'm paying for this session, uh, and you're okay. asking me for. Th- okay, all right. What can you just recommend some homework for me b- between now and the next session? When you wake up in the morning, uh-huh. uh, get your family to act out your dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> d- uh, don't eat any cereal before noon. Mm. And now everybody tells you to drink eight glasses of water. That's a lie. Okay. You yeah. need to drink 15 glasses of water every day. Um, it's going to wash out all of those uh, doubt toxins. Great. I've yeah. been doing that. Yeah. yeah. I have been eating cereal before noon. Okay. So duly noted, I'll switch that up. Lucky charms. <laughs> yeah. Gets me every time. I want you to write something down, put it on your uh, bathroom mirror. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Do you have a this pen and a <laughs> pen and a paper? <laughs> oh, well, I have this pen that's in my shirt pocket. Well, that's right. The Le- ink blot. What does the ink blot look like now? It looks like someone listening to me. They're facing me. They're encouraging me. Isn't that interesting? Wow. That changes. Okay. So write this down. Yep. You're going to die. The podcast benefits from listeners like you leaving reviews on Apple iTunes or Spotify and visiting our Patreon page. Your support matters 
remember to floss twice a day. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Is this on my mirror? How's anyone going to read this? And I got to go. Thanks so much. <laughs> I won't be back. Ouch. Wow. Now you're the person walking away from me. Urk. I mean, I just, I, I, I don't think I've had necessarily a very tough childhood. I do mm-hmm. feel like there's definitely trauma. <laughs> uh, I think. Do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, like, what you could even generally like? What do you mean? Like, what? Yeah. What um, would that be? Or like, even just the category, you know? Yeah, I mean, like. <laughs> I mean, without without open, um, obvious, like terrible things happening, I I just feel like there's just an underlying level of um, of difficulty when you're when you're when you're living, yeah, as a kid in a, in, in an immigrant household. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was gonna kind of kind of bring that back to what you shared with your dad. I mean, even just the grief or disconnect, whatever, if we don't want to talk about grief related to that experience necessarily, um, not that it isn't there, but just the experience of being in that middle between Mm -hmm. where you've got a father who there's limit to how you guys can communicate. And part of that is because they got you here, you know, in a way, you know, like they did the, you know. Yeah. So that, 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 that makes me think about like, what, what, I'm as grateful as I am for everything, you know, I've had a pretty good childhood, but like, what have we lost here though? Yeah. Um, like I do feel like that's kind of a big thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I, 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 I can't try to, um, you know, grow those, uh, connections more with my dad with maybe trying to have some of these conversations somehow, you know, but like I'm in my forties, you know, and I'm just now getting here. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, as far as like having that relationship with your parents. Yeah. Um, and growing up feeling like an other, um, growing up, not seeing yourself, uh, on, you know, represented on TV or movies yeah. or, um, and just feeling like, yeah, you don't belong or you're not fully, uh, a whole human being. Yeah. Growing up with parents where you feel <laughs> uh, it's hard to go outside. It's hard to take road trips. It's hard to be in, you know, even in the city or outside the city. But like, I, I, I there's this kind of double-edged thing where you are both protecting your parents. You're kind of looking out for your family you're 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 noticing other people and other people's stares or how people look at you you're so you're both like you know protecting them or trying to protect them and then also like judging and 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 acute or you know feeling like yeah they're not doing they're, they're they're attracting attention or they're not assimilated enough or yeah, resenting them, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, like you're wanting, you're looking around, you see all these like white, whatever, white families, people, quote unquote, normal in the context of America. Yeah. And you wanting that. Um, 
and and I I want to acknowledge that both this is a leaning into something that's definitely very real shared experience of trauma and heartbreak and grief for certain demographics, and that you're being sensitive about saying I didn't have it, you know, I wasn't getting beat when I was a kid or whatever. Not to put words in your mouth, but that you you're saying also like you had a good childhood, you were taken yeah. care of, like yeah. you it gave you the life you have now you know, in, in a lot of ways that I feel you're very, you're grateful for. Absolutely. So I get the complications of, of articulating some of this. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is, I'm, I'm assuming I don't really know. Mm -hmm. I haven't had that many conversations. They haven't really expressed how hard it is for them. Yeah. So I, I, I think part of it is also, they have a different way of looking at this they mm -hmm. they see themselves as outsiders they don't necessarily consider themselves americans and yeah. i don't know if they consider me an american i i mean i i'm kind of in between i guess but like they're they 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 feel yeah less connected and less like, i don't think they feel as much as i i want to feel like i belong mm -hmm. i don't think they have that sense of need mm. that, that you don't even think they need they want to feel that way like they maybe even don't don't care. Maybe they, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not necessarily sure, but no, I, I think, I, I think it's something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I do so, think generationally just thinking about our parents often just not dwelling in that stuff. Right. You know? Right. They just make a life here and taking care of you and, and do you have siblings? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have two younger sisters. And so, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I mean, when you say it like that, it seems like, of course, that seems terrible. And it feels like there would definitely would be heartbreak there to feel like you don't belong and to live here this whole time. And then to go back to Taiwan and not feel like, you know, it's, it's just, just to, to feel, at least feel like it's changed so much. Mm. Have you gone with them? Yeah. Um, been a while though, but it's, I, we have, um, but it's been, it's been a number of years. What was that like? And I mean, you can talk, you can ask a lot of, uh, you know, Asian Americans or Taiwanese Americans, like, especially when you're younger, you're just kind of, you're kind of at the, you're, you're kind of following your parents around. You have no agency. You're not really <laughs> making plans. You're visiting different uh, relatives that you don't really know. You're watching TV and that's kind of it. You know, yeah, there you, are other you know, kids around that maybe you could like play with. <laughs> yeah. You're just hanging out. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and you're 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 like a little brat, <laughs> mm -hmm. and that's kind of how it's been yeah. in the last you know the last times we've been we've we've it's visited. Not, it's not like everyone falling on their hands and knees once they touch ground, just crying and weeping over the right. return. Yeah, right. yeah, not quite that dramatic. Yeah, I get it, especially as a younger kid. Yeah, yeah. let's just say no one's no one's <laughs> no parents aren't talking. Then they maybe necessarily don't need to. They're not dwelling, whatever. But there's stuff maybe that you grew up in and now I understand you're the oldest sibling. So the way I'm connecting to that, and I'm not trying to project this on you, but I just know part of how I'm funny is because the amount of depression and anger and quiet and, and dysfunction that I was growing up in. And I understand that maybe you don't relate to all that, but I know for sure part of me making jokes, I can remember going back to the, my, you know, some of my younger memories of me just trying out being silly because I wanted to make my la mom laugh, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, yeah, I, I'm wondering if everything we've talked about can somehow connect back to this evolution of you coming into the world of comedy. Um, 
<laughs> I know it would sound tidier if I said it this if I said if things were different. <laughs> but um I, I I I you know, I I didn't grow up like a smart, quick-witted kind of uh, mm. uh con- yeah, a, a, a funny person. I I I was a pretty shy pretty serious introspective um I, I, I wasn't really life of the party kind of person or a class clown at all you know and i wasn't necessarily like bullied enough to like find a secret power of comedy to to to, to change you know um, yeah but I think, I, but I, but I, but I, I don't I, want those answers, Shang. <laughs> I, just to be clear, I'm not like God. I just really admit this thing or just pretend and make it up. I just what I want is truly, truly your version of it. You know, right. I can feel that. I feel like there's this thing in our culture. It's like, well, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't have value if it doesn't match the like all the billion other comedians that got you know, whatever trauma from their childhood that got them, like you said, some kind of superpower of comedy. So I just really want to be clear. I I know I'm like regularly have been just reminded your, your version of this story fits right here. It doesn't have to be any of that shit. Okay. Anyway, I think you get it. Um, yeah. So, but, but I, I think there was a part of me since childhood that did like, connecting to an audience or did like performing even though mm-hmm. I, there was nothing that there was it was it, it was it wasn't something that i ever nurtured or nourished or mm. was uh, brave enough to explore until mm-hmm. like college or after college it was oh really I not until then yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so any type of like dramatic arts classes that i was like forced to take as an elective and i think in middle school i had to do one it was it i i, I was forced um and i i was terrified Mm-hmm. Um, but there were moments when I found myself forced to do something like that on stage, whether it was like, um, you know, the last day of summer camp or whatever it was where you had to do some kind of performance. Those moments I found that there was, yeah, in that moment, there was something fun and thrilling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just never pursued it or explored it until like I got, until I got to college. I didn't grow up with this feeling of like, you know, I didn't grow up watching much stand-up comedy or, or, or even really knowing much about pop culture in general, much mm-hmm. less kind of stand-up specifically. But um, I tried and and I did like basically an impression of Chris Rock. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was terrible, um, but it felt good. People seemed to yeah. laugh. <laughs> Um, and then Mm. I got introduced, uh, my friends at the time, they came across this comedian that we had never heard of, um, named Mitch Hedberg. Um, and so when they introduced me to Mitch Hedberg, you know, I had a very limited scope of what standup comedy was before that. Um, and he just, I I don't know, just, he, he's so unique to himself, Mm -hmm. um, and his style and his um, topics, you know, it just gave me the sense of like, I, you can, ju- I can just do stand up based on the thoughts that I have. I don't have totally. to try to like be somebody else. Mm. I'm thinking how potent it would be for a family to be able to have their child, like an Asian American family, have their child get to watch you and be at that particular stage in history when you were that age, you didn't have any, you, you both, 
it sounds like we're watching a lot of a lot of TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but also there wasn't you know there wasn't when we were growing up, which you know it right. seems like we were growing up around the same time. There wasn't a lot of Asian American comedians really. Yeah, um, getting the spotlight. Yeah. And so just feeling that's huge and knowing your comedy is the kind of comedy too that my son who's 11 could sit down and watch and and uh have it be understandable and accessible too for him and have us get to have that like laughing together and knowing that these these kids out there can get that from your comedy, you know, yeah. and I, I don't mean it's like clean, but you know what I mean? Like it's accessible and it's, it's accessible. And, it's, and yeah, I try yeah. to, I try to keep it kind and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, 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 sure. loving and not mm-hmm. trying to hurt or spread pain or, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I know that's a dicey line, line of conversation, but I'm just going to say it, you know, mm-hmm. more clearly than, than I had before, which is, you know, this, this kind of white male, and I'm not saying it's just white male, but that there's this, this way that that kind of context, like that kind of entertainment can be, can be used very, very often and be said that it's just a joke. Don't take it so seriously. Right. But that, but it's often, you know, you, you just feel it kind of running through a lot of people's material, this kind of using other communities and other demographics as their punchline, you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah, I'm just not interested in doing that at all. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I mean, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of these so-called jokes, um, it, it's, it's too close to what you can easily be saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it's not, original or surprising enough mm-hmm. it's too it's too close to an old hacky bit mm-hmm. to you know i think i'm not a sarcastic person i think i have a hard time being sarcastic because i'm too sensitive to to, to mm-hmm. take it or to enjoy mm-hmm. it um <laughs> yeah plus it's I mean, sarcasm in general, I just, I, that's just too easy to me. I mean, not that mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard for me to to sound sorry. I can't do it. Yeah. I know how it works. <laughs> no, but I've heard that forever. <laughs> I've heard that. Like, it's just the lowest, lowest form of comedy. I just remember in college doing right. improv, lit, you know, us, we would talk about that right. and give each other shit when we would be sarcastic. I yeah. mean, and the funny thing is, I, I honestly can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I, don't, like, I can't make fun i can't bag on this option because i can't do it at all like it just comes off weird when i try yeah it sounds sincere like i, I i'm more of a sincere guy like when i try to be when i'm ta- when i'm just sincere people think it's sarcastic because yeah. it can't be real you know right right um yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah, but I, I get what you're saying. You just you don't lean that way, and 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 it's part. That was also part of why it was refreshing because I, I know I keep using the Costco bit. There's so much other stuff. That's such a great version of what. Th- that's a great version of your comedy because it really highlights for me what I love about your your work in general, which is this chance to see something. <laughs> That we all just take for granted. Mm-hmm. And I'll do this. I'll come to an open mic and talk about walking through the city to get there and how it just doesn't make, you know, it's just absurd what we're, what we've done yeah. <laughs> here, 
you know, and, and the best way, it's not my joke, but some meme I saw, gosh, I'm doing a bunch of like memes. Here's all my references okay. for this interview, <laughs> but, but it, it's just easy. It helps. Quote, but quote, there's, quote, quote your meme. Give a little bibliography <laughs> of your memes at the end of this episode. There will be an Excel spreadsheet, everybody. You can <laughs> check it out in the show notes. Um, no, there's this, uh, there's this meme that says, Something like, how in the world? No, that's not how it starts. I'm paraphrasing it poorly. But the idea that we live on a planet that grows food and we have like a credit score. Right. Um, and that's what the Costco stuff feels like. It's like really stepping one, one step away while being really uh, sweetly. How, how is the, how, let me try, let me figure this out real quick, Shaggy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's something like you're tenderly describing being complicit in the reality, I know you've gone to Costco, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe bought your pants there, mm-hmm. it seems. And you're one step away making it look so absurd, you know, and, and to the point, you know, like it's get, getting to laugh so much about these things that we live <laughs> every day. And I know that's like generally such a great version of, of stand-up comedy, right? I mean, it's like maybe even some version of the most common, but it is partly why I love yours though, especially because it's your voice doing that. And it is so refreshing to, it was so refreshing to find that special, you know? Thank you. But that, but that, and I don't know if there's more to say about that because that's it, right? Is that, could you describe it better than this? Like you're complicit, you're living it and you're step one back, one step back from it. And then you give it to us in the most hilarious terms. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess the only, I mean, the other, another like piece to that is, um, you know, as yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yes, you're, 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 you're a subscriber to Costco, um, to the capitalism, to the way we live mm-hmm. here, but, um, you're also, I mean, and, and you're accepting that. And then you're also, I mean, the, the fact that you're, okay you know buying and wearing pants from the grocery store um you are growing you are letting go of that's that's great attachments to um you know those name brands or yeah kirkland sweatpants is like a stage of (laughs) of maturing yeah you know that that's right that's good i'm glad you highlighted that part of the the bit yeah, it's the letting go of what is not as meaningful of mm-hmm. of of um, you know, uh, 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 yeah, another level of maturing, I guess. That's the kindness, I guess. You I know th- that's this way of being like, I'm going to talk to you about this part of our lives, and I'm not making fun of you. <laughs> I'm going to frame it in a way that acknowledges you for growing. <laughs> yeah. growing. yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's that's a that's the. Your voice. Yeah, because I frame yeah. it like a spiritual um, <laughs> yeah. evolution kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it was, because, because you know, when we were growing up, kids would uh, be, mm. you know, people, mm-hmm. uh, kids in fashion, it was, it was rough. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, needing to get your LA gears or your Nikes instead of whatever else you, you know, we went to Payless mm-hmm. for a while because we didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, and then getting caught up in that and then letting go of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. 
yeah. and and it is totally relatable, but like made clear because I think people make fun of Costco still. Like there's still people stuck in. I'm gonna bully you because you go shopping. There. Right. Right. You know, like that's that's real. Yeah. And to be and they're, have, <laughs> they're not wrong. <laughs> They're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the power of still going, right, to Costco. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Uh, in the face of all that, uh, you know, you, you you make that choice to let go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. to Shang Wang for saying yes, for being down. What a sweet conversation. So glad to have him on the show. If you want to find out more, check out more of Shang Wang, go to shangwangtime.com. I'll put that link in the show notes, but it's S-H-E-N-G-W-A-N-G time.com. And also go to Netflix if you have it and check out his stand-up comedy special produced and directed by Ali Wong called Sweet and Juicy. That, again, is streaming on Netflix. Nick Jana. Hi. Uh, hi. How are you? Good. Good. I, you know, there's something, there's, there's big news. Oh. That um, we don't have to really talk that much about, but like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that uh, someone that we know is in the NBA slam dunk contest. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So and glad it, to get back. There's a good update. And it turns out that he won the slam dunk contest. I wow. mean, how often, how often do you know somebody who wins the <laughs> you slam guys, dunk contest? You guys, you guys, <laughs> Nick was, <laughs> Nick, we were talking about what we're going to talk about in the closer. And Nick said, uh, I know, I think you know what I want to talk about. And I, I just thinking of all these serious things like <laughs> death and comedy, stand up comics in the context of, of dying and crying and leave it to Nick to bring, bring Mac back into play. Anyway, Mac McClung, who mm-hmm. is a, a, a great basketball player and an amazing dunker. <laughs> yeah, we were we were both at San Quentin at the same time in the fall because the Golden State Warriors were visiting, and he was briefly on the Golden State Warriors um, in the preseason. He never made the team, but as we were walking out, uh, Ned asked. They were retelling this. Somebody next to him <laughs> to take a photo of us. It just happened to me. This guy, Mac McClung. Who just won the slam, slam this dunk is, contest? This is I think what that's I, pretty cool. Is, it is that's very all. cool. This is what I'm hoping, though, is that there's regular <laughs> updates about Mac McClung, and oh, then yeah. we have to there retell every episode. We're going to have to be like, so. Well, if somebody Mac- didn't hear that episode, they're <laughs> going right. to be like, what You're are right. you talking about? You're right. It's wonderful because podcasts are wonderful in this way, in that someone who's listening to the show regularly is going to have to and hopefully enjoy and laugh as much as we are the retelling of why Mac matters this conversation of you're going to die the podcast and they're also you're right are people that don't know who he is and why we'd be talking about him it's rare that uh my artistic musical 
writing world intersects with the NBA. Yeah. And so I, I live a lonely life as an NBA fan. Uh, yeah. You I do don't get to talk to me. anybody. You're right. And even when this comes along, I was trying to show my wife, Chelsea, you know, I was like, this was the guy, look at this dunk. And she was just like, I don't have, she said something like, I don't know how to like interpret his dunks. I don't know when, what's a good dunk. I was like, okay. All right. Somebody did though. Chelsea, you don't have to worry about it. Someone else has that job. This is pre-approved. Yeah, exactly. We're telling you he won. This is a 50 out of 50. This is good. Full disclosure, Nick, you sent me a text, multiple texts about Mac Mac winning. And I didn't reply everybody for maybe 24 hours. And I thought, you know, the usual response from someone who is like I am in the world would be, and I thought through how to how to reply from that per- person's perspective, which is like, Nick, I don't care about this guy winning the slam dunk contest. And what I'm appreciating is my love for you and your passion for Mac and the NBA slam dunk contest. Uh, I really did work to that text that I replied with. <laughs> And I was like, how can I still authentically reply? Cause I'm not going to fake it. And I'm not a person who would like, I wouldn't reply like, Oh my gosh. Wow. Like I didn't watch the video. I didn't click on the links, wow. but I did send you a good dang with an exclamation point. And I is meant this, it. So is this I, like, <laughs> is this like your kids telling you about Pokemon? Is it the same oh, realm? Wow. Yeah. That's a great question. Cause I, I don't want to be. No, Nick. No, <laughs> no. Stop. Stop. I thought it. I, I just assumed it had a little bit more interest. To, well, it to does now it, more than ever. It feels like full circle <laughs> that we have got to return to this again. Um, okay. So it does matter to me. I appreciate that. Yeah. I do have a serious question. Oh, and this is going to be this is going to be like a total one eighty <laughs> energy. Good, good. This is the episode for it. I. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't even believe well, that it's going to be serious. Just the 180 is, okay. is what it I'm is laughing really about. It's really intense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about you recently. <laughs> yeah. And and the potential of, of you dying. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure, given everything, that you've thought a lot about your own death, of course, and the impact to your your family and the world around you. I wonder, have you thought of it much in terms of you run this organization called You're Going to Die? And like, does, you know, the, the stuff that you do, the space holding that you do, the open mics that you host, have you ever thought about like your death in that context specifically? <laughs> See, I told you it was a 180. I, I challenge any of you listeners to go out in the world and find a podcast that in five <laughs> minutes, that in five minutes time can pivot. And that's a basketball reference. Um, can pivot like Nick just did just now and still have it make sense. Um, and keep your pivot foot. And so you don't travel. Let's see if I can get to crying so that we have all this laughter and somehow my response to that question gets some tears too. That'll be, that'll be something. Um, well, let's see. Yep. There they are. Um, well, yeah, it's kind of wild to be so visible, especially over the last year. I've just committed to 
posting videos of me, reels of me talking. The podcast, I think, is, has helped me kind of lean into doing some more of that. So I, I think sometimes I jokingly say that having me die would really be a, a significantly powerful moment in the successful direction of, of our nonprofit, (laughs) you know, like somehow it would really boost sales. That's not even a sentence that we would ever use, but you know, like it would somehow really buoy and, and even add emphasize meaning on so much of what we offer. Um, so yeah, I have like little thoughts like that. Um, not to be morbid, it just kind of pops in there. I don't overthink it. And, and I, and I don't mean to be silly either about this while I do mean to be silly, but I mean to seriously answer the question. Um, you know, really, in fact, we have these shirts that say alive and I was wearing one of them at a recent open mic and I was telling everybody they're available for sale. And I said, this is, this is great shirt obviously just a declaration of your aliveness. And, and I love wearing it for that reason. And I know everybody, you're already thinking about what it's going to look like when I'm, when, (laughs) when I die, if I happen to be wearing that shirt, someone's going to like take a picture and be like, really, bro, are you alive now? And it was a good laughing moment, but there is constantly, I guess, this return to my mortality and how it relates to what we do and that we are so much about, obviously, engaging with that fact of life. Um, I think about a couple things. Once Chelsea said, you know, consider this thing as something that can last beyond you and knowing that my death would maybe help put wind in those sails even a little bit, like some version of a legacy and some version of what, what could this be with community who carries it forth. And then I've also thought, you know, if I was dealing with a life-threatening illness for a while, I know I would want to be really honest and and transparent and visible about all that in a way that I hope would be meaningful for our community. In yesterday's cancer patient workshop, it's a men's group. I really was listening from that place, that tenderness that I find in me that I've been thinking a lot about when I consider my death and acknowledge the eventuality and even get to that dying version of me, I talk about this a lot, but I mean, I've really been practicing it this week, even the last couple of weeks. And I've been sourcing that dying tender person and they're letting go Mm -hmm. how much maybe they'd be paying attention to the moment from that place and really feeling that influence and feeling my compassion and my love and my softening um, when I'm listening to people share in these groups and going into San Quentin, I feel like it was this reminder to from that place for that community to say, hey, the past and the future don't exist right now for us. And I just wonder when, if I get the kind of dying where I'm conscious and maybe it takes some time that I would have that feeling of this is everything right now is this moment. And so then in a way, abstractly, my death, my eventual death feels like a really significant influence on so much of what I, at least what I do with you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of, does that answer your curiosity? Yeah. I mean, I, 
<laughs> maybe what you were saying of, of like the 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 boost that it would give is just like <laughs> almost like putting an underline <laughs> under the statement you're going to die yeah. for people of just like oh shit <laughs> you know like yeah and I, I don't even mean that in a in a funny way like mm. really like as much as you say anything that's true it eventually kind of disappears and you just forget the meaning of it you know mm -hmm. even just the most beautiful sayings ever said end up just kind of becoming wallpaper because you can't really experience them in the present moment fully and it would just be this amazing like punctuation on that statement <laughs> yeah yeah you're right there's no question wow well ned that <laughs> answer was a real slam dunk <laughs> I give it 50 points. Oh my gosh. Is that how many points people get for their slam dunks? When they're as amazing at slam dunking as <laughs> Mac McClung, when yeah. you do a, a 540, that's a 540. That's 360. Oh my gosh. I feel plus like I have 180. split personality right now. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be feeling good and happy and playing basketball or crying and or dead in my grave. So thank you for going on that journey with us. Nick, thanks for taking, taking the wheel on that one and leading us through the last stretch of this podcast. It feels like a perfect ending to this one. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. and, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, until next time. Oh, bye-bye.